As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is Felipe Cardenas, your host of the COPA Podcast, and this is part two of my interview with American soccer analyst Brian Dunseth. Part one premiered on Wednesday, so be sure to listen to that. And in part two, Dunny and I discuss the future of the U.S. Men's National Team program, why Christian Pulisic doesn't have to be a star to be successful. Plus, Dunny discusses his family's emotional trip to Spain and London over the winter and why getting away really matters. Enjoy the show. All right, let's transition quickly to the U.S. Men's National Team program. Uh, I mean, you've been off the air for for, for when a, a lot of things were, were going on. You were in Spain with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, we don't need to rehash everything, but we know what happened with Gio Reyna and, and Greg Berhalter. There's been a lot. There's the, the turnover in the sporting department of the U.S. Men's National Crazy. Team is now completely. Yeah. It just blew up. Uh, this is a co-host of the next World Cup, the United States. This, you know, we're just a few months uh, removed from from the hype of this class. Uh, you know, I think they performed relatively well at the World Cup. I, th- I feel, for me, they I just feel like they did what we expected them to. There wasn't, uh, they didn't exceed expectations. They had some good games. I think Greg Berhalter deserves credit for that. But now all that is gone. All that's out the window because we mm. don't know what's happening with the program. So, where do you think this program is going? And like. What should happen next? Sporting director, coach, yeah, uh, come to Jesus with the players. Like, <laughs> I mean, where th- this is a big opportunity for the yeah. U.S. to 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 right the ship. Well, and, and and I think from my perspective, where where I where I was hoping we would be was building upon a really good performance in Qatar. That this would be like the continuation of what we've seen. Um, and I understand all the variables. I understand if you like Berhalter, if you didn't like Berhalter, if you thought he should have got the job, if you didn't think he should get the job, it's, it's the inevitable Michael Bradley, Bob Bradley conversation that we've had for years. Yeah. Um, I think Greg did a very good job. That's just me. I, I, no, I, I agree with you. No one will ever convince me otherwise, considering what happened. Uh, the fact that we beat our biggest regional rival, Mexico, in two cup finals um, in Nations League and the Gold Cup, two different teams qualified the team for the World Cup, solidified this group of players, and got them out of the group at the World Cup. That, that yeah, for me, yeah. is, these are all positive steps forward, especially for a team that 
so many people tried to level the conversation before the World Cup and say, eh, does it really matter how good they're playing? Because guess what? <laughs> they're going to be in their prime in 2026. <laughs> Golden like, generation. Yeah, like, no. Like, no. Like, we, we, they need to adapt and struggle and succeed and thrive and, and win. And I, again, I watched with pride this group of players. Um, now, subsequently, the fallout, everything, if you would have told me Gio would have played whatever it was, 63 minutes total in the World Cup, I would have told you you're crazy yeah. um, before the World Cup because, listen, the team was Christian, it was Weston, it was Tyler, um, it was Yunus Musa, and Gio Reyna. Those two were my breakouts. And Brendan Aronson, uh, those three were the ones that I was like, okay, what do they really look like? You, you didn't and, have Tim Ream on your bingo card? You didn't have him as I don't the, think the standout? Did. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I, I, no one did. And, and yeah. Tim... I mean, God, to, to see, and even, you know, Tim afterward, you know, more recently talking about, like, I had to think about it, you know, because That's, of that what happened. quite a revelation for it, sure. It, it, it was, I can understand it, it. I can understand for it. For sure. And, 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 but this is, there, there's, a, there's like a loyalty yeah, conversation, yeah. right, to be had of like, who's trusted, who's not trusted. When things happen, you know, behind the scenes, how are they handled? Um, you know, is it the manager? Is it the player? How do they come back on level terms? How do they win each other back? Do you mm -hmm. have to change who you are to be a part of what the manager is trying to cultivate? All of these variables. And, and, and how do you put a roster together for 35, 40 days that can thrive where you're not having hiccups like we talked about? So all of that being said, I thought coming out of it, this is, man, we're going to be just going like this now, right? Yeah, Everybody, yeah. Greg's got his World Cup experience. The players got their World Cup experience. We're flying now. Um, and then everything happened. Yeah. Um, and it's, listen, I know enough's been said. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's sad, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. sad situation for everything involved, everybody involved. So the Brian McBride situation compounds it. The, the Ernie Stewart situation compounds it. And now what people seem to forget sometimes is, you know, everyone, to, everyone wanted to burn U.S. soccer to the ground and rebuild it. Well, they did that. <laughs> and now you have to find and this is a big decision, whoever replaces Ernie Stewart, this idea of the philosophy of how the, the organizational side is run, how the, the, the individuals who they are choosing from general manager to head coach to assistant coaches to 23, uh, who's the Olympic team coach, who's the 20s coach, who's the under 17s coach, all of this was Ernie and yeah. Brian and Greg and the whole thing, like you got to live in Chicago and, you know, are, are you creating a comparable wage packet to what these guys who you should be bringing in that that'll suffice? Yeah. You're, you're starting from scratch. And my fear, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying to kill Dave Sherkin. I thought Dave Sherkin did an admirable job in his role in that timeline where you don't know what the hell's going on at U.S. soccer, um, that we are looking at another situation where mm -hmm. now Anthony Hudson who obviously didn't have the best track record at Colorado Rapids is now running the group uh, under kind of the same philosophy as Greg Berhalter within his scope of what he's trying to do. But there's some important games and, and Nations League starts right around the corner in March. And these are tough decisions for, by the way, U.S. soccer that's preparing for the Women's World Cup and has a lot of buildup to happen. Um, on the backside. And again, we're, we're, what about the players agreement? The That's what I was going to say. That the yeah. men and women coming together yeah. and, and, and sharing the, the equitable uh, bonus structure. 
I mean, this should have been like the best. So as I say all of that, this unknown, I'm actually really excited. Oh, okay. And, I, and I'm really Even though excited. even with the lack of continuity, because that's what that's where you started. You're like, yeah. finally we found it. Yeah. And now it just like the, the track fell down the mountain. So, so what here's where I'm about? excited. I'm excited about this. I think that this will afford the players a tremendous opportunity to collectively lead and grow and mature and succeed together. Okay. Because I think one thing that we, we, we seem to forget, or at least we kind of glass over, is you have all these varying opinions, right, of current players, former players, pundits, media fans, all this stuff. Well, they got to change the coach every cycle. They need a new voice. They need to – at the end of the day, it's about them, yeah. right? They, this is a generational group. And while I, while I understand and somewhat agree with the idea of having a, a new voice – got to make sure that voice is the right voice, right? You got to make sure that it all does, that, that everybody comes together and like you're impressing, right? You always yeah. want to coach, and you know this as a former player, you want to step on the field and be like, ooh, I like this drill. Oh, I've never totally. seen that. Oh, every I never day. thought about it. It's got to be like day. that every day. And you have yeah. a short window. And that's the other part. Like for these managers, we do this thing where like, he'd be great. He does this at the Premier League. Oh, he does that in La Liga. Or he does this in MLS. It's like, well, it's different. Ask Greg Berhalter. You don't have the amount of time with the players that you think you have no, no. theoretically when you take over. So I think that this puts even more emphasis on the growth of the group, irregardless of whoever the manager is and chooses to play on game day, that these guys are saying, guys, yeah. can I curse? Am I allowed to curse? Can yeah, I talk? Yeah. This is, okay. a, this is like, TVMA, I okay. think. I think so. Well, Where I think the guys come together and they go, Fuck it, man. Let's yeah. let's do us. Yeah. Because that that inevitably is the conversation. Anytime you talk to, or anytime, and I know you know this. Anytime you've talked to Christian, you've talked to Weston, or you've talked to, to Tyler, or you're talking to Tim Way, or you're talking to any of these guys, they're like, the failure wasn't our group. Yeah. The failure happened, but now it's up to us to move this group forward. And that's exactly what they did. So I they think did that to your point. They did it. You yeah. mentioned all the you know the trophies the Nations League Gold Cup, getting out of the group, like that is the momentum that you're referring to. Perhaps mm -hmm. it ended over, you know, over, you know, in December, but if you put it back together, this is a team that is used to being successful. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's where, I think that's where we're going to see, I think that's where it potentially could surprise us the most in a time of uncertainty with what's happening at U.S. soccer I don't think they're rudderless. I don't think they're directionless. I, I, I think they just need to, it, it, it's us. It's the anxiety of all of us watching and waiting again and being concerned of, okay, is this going to be another Ernie Stewart situation where there's a negotiation between U.S. soccer and whoever, whoever the club is that this person mm -hmm. is working for? Um, and then it's an agreement, but then they can't start work until the end of the season, which means that by the end of the season, that turns into then, you know, six month window, which Ernie Stewart then has to go out and identify his top three candidates, which means by the time he chooses his candidate, there's still another, another discussion or negotiation to get this manager out of his contract at the end of the season. And there's that loyalty for the manager to the club and blah, blah, blah. And then we're, you know, looking at 18 months where we're saying, Guys, gentlemen, uh, you know, anybody who's in charge of making this decision, 
I mean, Sydney um, Parlocone is isn't this well, on? I mean, this is like a big. This is part of her legacy now. Like, what happens between now and these hires, right? Yeah, and Cindy has done a phenomenal job. I, I really, I think she's done a great job navigating what has been a very, very difficult time for U.S. soccer, and mm-hmm. this is one more challenge that's been put on her plate. Um, and and she is going to lean into. I would I would assume, and I would hope every bit, uh, every conversation on the men's and women's side that she possibly can have to try to figure out what the best decision is. Um, but in terms of like the guys, when I say gentlemen, it's like these, 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 these players, um, you know, how, how can you, I think what these, these kids have done, I say kids, they're, you know, they're at what, the kids to us, but 20, 25. And they're making a lot of done, money, my friend. They're making a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it, but it's not just the money, Felipe. I think what they're doing is, is they're so used to social media. They're so used to the spotlight and glare that they tune out so yeah. many things that at the end of the day, man, when they're on the field, that's all that matters. They it's just all it's their teammate and it's, yeah. it's the camaraderie. So let's, uh, I want to get a couple more things in. So let's keep this one brief. Keep this one brief. What's yeah. next for Jesse Marsh? Oh, uh, man, you talk about not real. The funny is, well, <laughs> Jesse Marsh has always been kind of the the leading light in the argument of who should be the next manager, who's better yes. than Greg Berhalter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now for Jesse, a tremendous, tremendous amount of uh, success with New York Red Bulls. Uh, his time as an assistant at RB Leipzig was a success. I think his time, without a shadow of a doubt, at Salzburg was a success. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with what happened, very difficult circumstances, COVID-related, following Julian Nagelsmann, RB Leipzig, um, that ended very quickly. Leeds United keeping him up was obviously a successful situation. When I watched Jesse's team at Leeds United, I saw a team that I, I, I understood what they were doing. They, want, they, they did not want to be pragmatic. They wanted to play. And unfortunately, um, they weren't able to find that, that unique dynamic of what Sean Dyche just did at Everton, which is sound, deep test, two corners, hard, grit, determination. Yeah. We saw at Man City and Liverpool. There's different variables of how to play the game. Um, you could say the eyeball test is Man City. You could say, listen, ish housery, tough defending, <laughs> transition attack, speed and athleticism, uh, Harry Kane. There's multiple ways to win a game. At the end of the day for Jesse, uh, you know, the, the, the table doesn't lie and it is a result oriented business. And I said this on air, there's coaches that were much better than Jesse Marsh. Bigger, bigger resume and CV that have been fired in the Premier League because results haven't gone their way. I know this will be quote unquote controversial or whatever. If I'm U.S. soccer short term, I go to Jesse and I say, hey, we got to figure this out. I know we got plenty of questions behind the scenes. Caretaker manager. But short term, whatever this looks like, how about this opportunity? Would you be interested? I would at least Hmm. at a bare minimum think that there was a convert or there would be a conversation with Jesse just about, okay, this is what the, the transition looks like for 2023. Are you interested? It's a different look. It's a completely different style of coaching for him. And it's something that I would say, had Jesse Marsh been available, he would have been in that top tier of candidates for U.S. soccer to be looking for. Now that he is available, although subsequently it's a, it's a kind of a dicey, how do you kind of sell this? That's what I was going to say. Like, why not just offer him the job? Is it because of, right? He's coming off of being fired. You know, is, is, do you think, you think so? Yeah. yeah, Optics are there, but do you think someone like Jesse Marsh, who 
every every coach at this level if you don't have an ego like i don't I, you know that's just it's you, you shouldn't be coaching but would he is that an, a role you think he would accept the i mean caretaker I, it, role? it's i mean it's us it's the us men's national team it can I become mean, and it can become the permanent job yeah, yeah. and scaloni yeah look scaloni is a perfect example um i i just think that we as a as a soccer nation get so caught up in Oh, Ancelotti should be the next head coach. <laughs> oh, Jose Mourinho should be the next head coach. And uh, oh, we should go get Pep. All of this stuff. Um, I, I, I get it. I know there's cachet and there's sway and all of that. Um, and there's a spotlight that comes along with it. I, I like everybody else. I just want the best person for the job. Yeah. That's it. That's all I want. Best person for the job. And if you said right now, Jesse Marsh, is he, is he better suited for the role? than say an Anthony Hudson, I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, what I will say is I think Jim Curtin has done a phenomenal job. I think the next generation of coaches to keep an eye on are Pat Noonan, are Josh mm-hmm. Wolf, or Stevie Cherundolo. Um, Not in that order, but I just think those are, it's the same conversation we had when Jurgen Klinsmann was the head coach. We were talking about Dom Kinnear. We were talking about uh, Jason Christ. You know, we were talking about all these quote unquote American guys that, you know, who could be the next manager. Um, so yeah, it, these are big decisions and, yeah. and I'm really, really intrigued to see where Cindy Parlo Cohen and company elect to go, not only from the leadership side behind the scenes, but who they choose to lead this group of extremely talented players. I think Pat Noonan, a bit of a dark horse, bit of a dark horse guy. I mean, that guy I think is a bright, bright, bright future, Pat Noonan. It is really funny, by the way, really funny. I, I'm going down to Florida. I'm trying to meet with him. I'm actually very excited to, to talk to Pat Noonan. I think he's one of those guys that I would play for. I would be oh, yeah. like, put me in coach. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Pulisic, let's go back. Let's, let's get this quickly in because I do want to just end on your, on, on your life, you know, like the human side of Brian Dunseth. Mm-hmm. Um, you speak about leadership. Like, what does his future look like with this team? Um, you know, Tyler Adams now, I, I think, the right guy to wear the armband. Yeah. He's proving it. He, he continues to get better. He has the intangible of being a leader and being a vocal leader and understanding how to talk, not just to players, but, you know, it's it's undervalued sometimes. Like, he knows how to speak to media as well. He's yeah. very good at this, Tyler Adams. Um, you know, you had a quote that made the rounds around the world, especially in England, because Christian Pulisic is playing in, in the Premier League, but you, I'm going to read the quote really quite fast. This is from you before the World Cup. As much as you want to believe in Pulisic, as much as he's been hyped to be everything that everybody thinks he can be or wants him to be, the reality, he is not. He's a really good player, but he's a complimentary piece. He is not a focal point, and that's what people have to understand. I agreed with you at the time, and I and I still do. I think he's a very, very good player. If you get to the level where he has been, it's because you're you're, you're at that you're, you're at the top of your class. Yeah, um, But the question is like, how, why is the best player for the United States so difficult to put in a position to be great for his country? Is that yeah. what you were getting at? Well, let, let let me give you more context because unfortunately I got hosed on that one. <laughs> from I don't think you should have been hosed. I don't no, think. No, I mean, again, no. when I look it up, the first thing that pops up is the Daily Mail, and I'm like, oh my goodness! Of course, yeah. this this blew up in England. Yeah, and and I started getting <laughs> I started getting people like I didn't I was unaware of on Reddit and all that stuff. I don't I don't look at Reddit. <laughs> um, let, so context of the conversation, it was with Tom Rennie on Week in the Tackle. And Rennie is boombastic and loud and winding everybody up and all of this. And part of this conversation was surrounding kind of the hype machine of of, of US, the hype machine of America. Yeah. And 
during all of this, remember, like Christian was front and center with Cristiano Ronaldo, with Neymar, with Kylian Mbappe, and with Lionel Messi. Everything was being sold as like he is that part of the conversation. Um, and, and listen, I regret the way in which that was delivered, and most certainly the way that it was cut and spliced and, and put out there, because there wasn't context of the bigger conversation. The bigger conversation for me was, and, and I've said this multiple times on, on um, multiple different platforms, I think this group of players is not a group of individuals. And I don't think we as U.S. soccer have ever had individuals. I think what we forget is that Clint Dempsey had Landon Donovan. Mm. Michael Bradley had Jermaine Jones. Clint Mathis had Brian McBride. Oguchi Onyewu had Carlos Bocanegra. You know, Tim Howard had Brad Guzan, right? DeMarcus Beasley had Stevie Chirundolo. We were always a collective. And yes, we have incredibly talented individual players. The context of my conversation was really bigger picture, and I should have used my words better, was that Christian, and, and by the way, I, I, was, I was wrong because Christian is an elite player, and we saw him play an incredibly important role at the World Cup. Did you know, listen to this. This is according to a, a post-World Cup tactics piece that we wrote for The Athletic. Christian Pulisic led the World Cup in line-breaking attempts between oh, midfield yeah. and defensive lines. Ten passes mm-hmm. per game, um, you know, above Lionel Messi, above yep. you know, the guy that was just below him of Robert Lewandowski. Um, so, no, I mean, continue. Can, but I tell that, you, can, I, can I tell you why, too? Yeah. And I'll tell you exactly why. I think, number one, Greg did a very good job with how he built his lineup. I know we had questions about the number nine, and we know we had questions about Gio's involvement and all of that. But he picked the correct back four. He picked the correct goalkeeper. Yep. And most importantly, Tyler at well, let, let me figure out how to piece this together. Christian's position tucked in on the wide left sides, kind of pinched in about 10 to 15 yards, was very Lionel Messi-like in terms of how he spotted deficiencies in the opponent. And he figured out ways because of Anthony Robinson's yeah. just they were creating triangles. overlapping runs. Yeah. Tyler dipping in a little bit left underneath, Eunice tucking just a little bit to kind of pinch, and then Weston McKinney kind of finding his role in and out. Mm-hmm. Timothy Wea providing the width of speed and then having whatever type of focal point you want to call, whoever you want to you know, point out, you know, really applying pressure to the two center backs. So with Robinson continuing to go, the right back and the right midfielder started having issues trying to figure out how to, how to deal with him in his overlap. Christian geniusly started figuring out how to pinch a little bit more. And to your point about the statistics, every single game in the first three or four minutes, we saw Christian get a ball off Tyler, turn and pivot and run at somebody. And go forward. Every single time, over and over and over. And that's space. That's space. This game is about space and decision making. And this particular formation, we did not see that in previous games. And, And for for the for the hype of going into the World Cup and what we were talking about, remember the context of building into the World Cup where the two games over in Europe, empty stadiums, uh, you know, good opponents, really, I would say, average performance by everybody involved, really n- nothing to get anybody excited about. I think everybody was like, oh, shit, Uh-oh. maybe, maybe yeah. 2026 is what we should be <laughs> focusing on. Um, on top of kind of the injury concerns that we had seen throughout, you know, uh, qualifying for 
all these different players. Um, so for me, what Christian did throughout that tournament was extraordinary in terms of his talent level and what he's capable of doing. And for a World Cup, he got up for it. He did. He was he up did. for it every single game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when, when you ask me what that all looks like, again, Anthony Robinson got busting overlaps. Tyler sitting, protecting, eating up so much ground. Eunice and, and Weston finding this dynamic in front. Christian tucking in. Tim kind of just continuing to thrive in terms of pushing back the left back, left center back, defensive midfielder because of his, his athletic mm -hmm. threat, and then cutting inside and creating those options. The weight of the pass, the challenges, the goals, putting his body on the line. Um, Christian sacrificed everything. And I think collectively and individually, um, they were all incredibly impressive. So did he, did he earn that? Cause I, I think I, I hear you. I hear, I agree 100% with like the, the obsession with having the guy with America, mm. U S soccer, having that, that, that one guy, the messy moment, the Neymar and it's been, it's been in the captain America. Yeah. Do you think he, he rose up to that level or is, did it well, prove your point that this team is a collective? I think the team is a hundred percent the collective. Yeah, I mean, everything I, I you just off. mentioned is, yeah. is about like Christian doesn't do that without those three other guys creating the triangles, moving I, space. I think it's much, much more difficult for Christian to try to, I think it's unfair for us. And I think this was kind of the, the, the gist of everything that created this conversation is it's, I think it's unfair for us to apply that type of pressure because we've been doing this forever. Right. Yeah. We, we've been doing this from Freddie Adu, Lionel mm -hmm. Messi, Pele, you know, all of this to even the pressure that Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey were two completely different players yeah. and two of the best players we've ever seen. Yep. You know, people forget how good Tab Ramos was. Oof. People forget how good Claudio Reyna was. People forget how good Johnny O'Brien was. People, you know, like we, we have how good Clint Mathis was. We have generational players. But the obsession with trying to exalt guys mm. into the conversation with Neymar, Messi, and, and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, it's been something that we've, we've never stopped doing. And we've always kind of had this dream and this hope, okay, who's going to be our next guy? Christian's won everything. Christian has yeah. been as close to, to, to that conversation that we've seen on an international level in terms of domestic football. Um, but listen, the sky's the limit. If he can stay healthy, as we've seen, the sky's the limit for, for this young man. And he deserves all the credit and the plaudits that, that he deserves because he stepped up when it counted. And he was, I think he, he stood firm. He led, put his body on the line. And I, I thought he had a great tournament. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and, and respect, Donnie. I mean, to come out here and say, listen, I regret what I said. I don't think you should, but I understand the, there wasn't enough context. And we were in, you know, the U.S. was in a, a difficult spot at that time. You know, before oh, the we World were scared. Cup. Yeah, yeah, it was like this is not the way it's supposed to go. And and Christian Pulisic has had injury problems at, at every club that he's been at. So you 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 wonder if you can really depend on a player like that. But to your point, he really did step up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, I kept you way too long. I want to say two more things. And this is, this is I've been waiting to say this because often the, my relationship with, with Dunny, for those that are listening that don't know, um, I, I used to call into your show all the time. Like yeah, that's how yeah. it started, right? Like I yeah. was the guy that would call into counterattack. But what you don't know is that you're only a year younger than me, or a year older than me. You're 77. I'm a 78. And I remember in in 1997 when this Project 40 idea was born. I was at home. I was when Soccer America would come. I would read it, and I was like, this. You know, I, I couldn't wait for MLS. Um, and I remember seeing the list of names there and I, I remember your name, like to this day, I remember mm. seeing like Brian Dunseth. And then I was like, I would track you track all those guys that were in that list. Nino da Silva. Does that re- name? Yeah, Nino. Yeah, he yeah. was like my rival. He played at Palatine in Chicago, Hoffman yeah. Estates. I played club ball in Northern Indiana. We would meet each other every spring. Um, and I would see these names. I'm like, wow, like these are the guys that I played with. Uh, this is the future of this league. Um, and so to see you start from there, which is that's now generation Adidas, but it was, it was, it was something much different at the time. And now you're part of this like huge growth ecosystem. I think that says a lot about your longevity, man. I mean, it's tough to stay in the business, honestly, you've seen it from the grassroots to now this like global brand. Yeah. I mean, for, for those that don't know what project 40 was, I mean, it, it was, I'll give you kind of a, a quick run through. Basically, it was U.S. soccer and the U.S. players were in in a CBA negotiation. There was like a refusal for the U.S. men's national team. I believe it was to go down to like Peru or Chile and play a friendly. Wow. Um, and at the time, I wasn't. I'm not sure if it was. I think it was Steve Sampson. It took a group of players, and there were two guys on the U.S. under 20 team that ended up going. And it was right before I joined uh, the U.S. under-20 team down in Jay Hoffman down in uh, Chula Vista, California, in, in San Diego area at the Olympic Training Center. And there was a guy named Carlos Parra um, that got called up and got a cap in that game. And for whatever reason, Carlos was supposed to go to the University of Maryland. Something happened with his, his, his grades or he couldn't – he wasn't going to be eligible. 
And there's this kind of narrative of this conversation that started between U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer and Nike saying, well, we can't lose, can't lose a guy like guys. Carlos Parra, who's yeah. not even in college, but just played for the national team. So that was kind of the, the birth of what now is Generation Adidas, mm. uh, is Project 40, where Nike and Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer kind of all came together and said, okay, how can we, because remember at the time, college was huge. I right? know, that's what I'm saying. Like I look at that list and like all you guys are at the best, going to the best schools, the best well, D1 schools. Not, so, not, not, not the first was, group, the second group, yeah. No, but the first group there was, you know, IU, Clemson, Maryland, Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. Um, we, you know, there we, were some we good a, players. All those guys were, were good players. I remember them like watching them, uh, you know, try to build a career in MLS. It was difficult at the time. Well, but they were yeah, good because it's, it was 18 man rosters back then. Yeah, and, that's and you've what people, got a battle against Leonel Alvarez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, <laughs> like, so I was at Cal State Fullerton. I wasn't even on full. I wasn't on a full ride. Yeah. I was. I was working and paying for school still. Um, and, what was and your job? Soccer. Uh, I I worked at the uh, the. I was handing out like basically like sports equipment, and inside the gym across okay. from the basketball court, and yeah. making some money there, and then like hustling and cleaning tables and being a bus boy and being a waiter and off season or doing all that stuff. Like I've been working since I was 14 years old. I was cleaning mm -hmm. dishes at a convalescent hospital. Um, so like the work thing was always normal to me. Um, but when I was down in, in, at the Olympic training center, I'll never forget. And remember these guys are on big deals. You got guys from Duke guys at UCLA guys at, you know, university of Virginia. These are big college scholarships. Fullerton was like two grand a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so, they, they were paying for my books in like a lunch. Yep. Um, so <laughs> when Sunil Gulati walks in, he basically pitches it to the entire group in San Diego. I was like, you know, it's his boardroom. He's like, hey, okay, this is what we're going to do. Project 40, Carlos Parra has been allocated to the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, literally started a game on ESPN. Yeah. And we're like, Carlos isn't even starting for us right now. Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and he, he's like, you know, if anybody's interested, let me know. And I just, I had my hands straight up in the air. And everyone's like looking at me like, what are you doing? I was like, Cal State Fullerton, bro, or am I going to go play? <laughs> um, and we had just gone to like the quarterfinals in, in the, you know, the College Cup, the, the season previous. Um, so, yeah, man, it was it was 20 was the twenty seven thousand dollars a year. I was making seven hundred seventy six dollars, seventy eight cents after taxes. Look at that. This guy remembers down to the cents. Boston. Yeah, my rent was a grand <laughs> out in Norwood. I was living with Teddy Kronopoulos. Literally, my food, my budget was, I was buying spaghetti, like packets of spaghetti. I was getting spray butter, and I was getting white bread, like a loaf of white bread. Oh, gosh. And it was like 4 to $5, and that's what I would eat every single day. Because it's not like it is now, where you've got like protein a shakes, chef, and recovery shakes, nutritionist. Chef, and here's your meal to take home, and all that. Like, <laughs> no, it was like bare bones. And I remember talking to, to Al Mystery at Cal State Fullerton, the head coach, he's like, Heck, God damn, why would you take this contract? You ain't getting paid shit. And I was like, man, it's pro. Like, it's what do you, pro, like, I can always yeah. go back to college. And so yeah. I got there and I was six years younger than everybody. And Alexi, I was playing next to Alexi Lawless and Joe Max Moore and Mike Burns. And I had this real crazy moment where I'm in the shower and I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a professional soccer player. And these are the guys that are on the national team. And these are like my heroes. I was like, God, you were dude. good. You were good, Donnie. You were good. You're a good fullback. Number two. Yeah, I, I remember that that number very well. Yeah. And and look at you now. I mean, you you now you're at the stage of your career and of your life, really, where I just had so much like I was living vicariously through you and your family 
and Barcelona, like watching you guys Thank in you. Spain and Bilbao and all that stuff, because I knew how much it meant to you and the family at this time to mm-hmm. go out there and, and just get away and spend time together. Wh- what was it like for, for you as a dad, as a husband to take your boys to see the world and, you know, really get like a, the, the reality check that perhaps you guys needed? Yeah. Um, a little background. We, we lost my mother-in-law, um, uh, almost a year ago next, mm-hmm. next week, next weekend. Um, and it's, it's been a, a horrific year for us as a family. Um, my, my poor wife has lost her, her, her father, her sister to breast cancer, and now her mom since we've been married and she's lost her whole family. And it's just been devastating to, to, to watch her go through all of this in the midst of, you know, my mom had heart issues and almost died. My brother um, had an asthma-induced heart attack and was dead for 10 minutes and survived. And going through everything with Scott Vermillion announcement and the CTE announcement in the summer and, and connecting with his father. It's just been, yeah. it's been really hard, man. It's been a really, really difficult year. And then having to do that while, you know, raising children and having mm-hmm. to navigate, you know, their, their life, you know, their life and, and going through the struggles of, of not having their grandmother who was a daily presence in our life live literally right around the corner from us. Mm. It's just been really, really hard. And I know everybody, you know, you know, loses people and it's, I am, I'm certainly sympathetic and to watch our family kind of try to navigate. This has been really, really difficult this season. Um, so <clears throat> we made the, the decision as a family and she traveled with us all, all the time from cruises to going to Cabo San Lucas and, you know, even we had gotten her, her new passport and booked mm. her ticket and we had to cancel everything. And it's, it's just, it was really, really difficult. So we decided as a family, um, because of the holidays and because we had such a, a dialed in routine with the holidays, with her being a part of it, my wife and I just decided because it was the off season, um, you know, let's, instead of just buying things, you yeah. know, like as parents, we're all guilty of trying to give our kids everything we didn't have yeah. as a child. Um, Guilt, I'm so guilty. Right. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> like, let's buy a trampoline. I don't have a trampoline. <laughs> Trampolines would be good. Um, <laughs> the, we decided to really start doing experiences over things. I was. Uh, thank. Thank you for bringing yeah. that up because I wanted to bring that up. It's. It's. You yeah. use it as a hashtag. You use it as a message. It's yeah. like a minimalist type of mentality that that I can relate to. That I tell my 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 kids all the time, especially my oldest, my ten year old Nico. I told him the other day. I'm like Nico. We're gonna to go to a basketball a basketball game in person. You don't need a, a PS5. Let's go mm-hmm. experience something. He's like, okay. Yeah. And I remembered and, you when I said it. Well, thank you. It, it I, you know, and watching my children, and 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 again, we're all kind of guilty of helicopter parenting yeah. through apps, right? You know, yep. an iPad or playing video games. Like, oh, this will keep them busy for a while. And all. so, what we've just mm-hmm. been trying to do as a family, like we we put the phones down. There's no, we try to have dinner every night as a family, even if that's like at eight o'clock at night. Um, you know, there, there's no technology. Uh, we put on some vinyl records and we listen to music and we just, we try to just be present. Yep. And that's what this whole trip was kind of about was to celebrate her mom, to celebrate her memory. We, we, we just booked, we basically rented an apartment uh, in a Jample, um in Barcelona and we we did Girona, which is a 40 minute train ride uh, with one of my friends, Lucas Curtolo, um, who I grew up with. He and his family uh, came over to Spain for a couple of days. We did Girona, the whole Game of Thrones thing. Um, I always wanted to go to San Sebastian. It's Oof. one of the most beautiful places on earth. Um, for those that don't know, it's about 40 minutes north of Bilbao. It's in Basque country. 
just south of Biarritz, a surf culture, gross beach. Uh, it was, you know, pinchos, everything. It was <laughs> extraordinary. Um, and we did the high speed train, the five hours across the country and that whole thing. And then we did London for a couple of days to go see some of my best friends. I got to finally meet Tom Rennie in Perch. That was great. Time. That was great to yeah. see. That was great to see. I got see. to go to the top sports studios and I was like, what oh, is that Simon like? Jordan and there's Jim and there's Martin Keown. And, you know, like Luca wow. walks up and as we're being introduced to everybody, you know, you get this picture of Simon Jordan. Luca's your he, youngest, right? Yes, my youngest. He just yeah. turned five. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so like we're all meeting everyone and, you know, you get this picture of Simon Jordan and kind of his, his views. If you watch top sport and you watch it on YouTube or whatever, you listen to him. And, uh, all of a sudden I look over and Luca's like waving and Simon Jordan's like waving back at him. Martin Keogh's like, Hey buddy. And so it was like, it was a really fun moment, like yeah. a, a fishbowl moment. Um, yeah. And yeah. And then we, we kind of just settled in. I saw, I spent a lot of time with Paco Palencia who I became friends with in LA. Legend. Uh, he was, he is an absolute I mean, legend. Him, Claudio Suarez, Ramon Ramirez were guys in the locker room at Chivas USA. Oh God, um, and I became like extremely enormous oh. names in Mexican soccer. Well, uh, enormous names. And, and watching that with Bob Bradley being the head coach, because I was only there for a little bit before I ended up with the Galaxy, because there was huge upheaval and turnover at Chivas USA, as we came to find out. Um, but it was like Ante Razov and Jesse Marsh, um, and this kind of like culture of American players with all of a sudden these super <laughs> iconic Mexican internationals. Um, but Paco and I became really, really good friends. Our, our cool. wives became friends. and. Um, I went and saw Luca, his son play, um, play football and they're in Barcelona and was with Lourdes and the family. And yeah, it was just, it was, I had nothing to do. We had no responsibility in terms of like soccer or school or work or, I mean, it was as, as mellow as one could be. We were totally in the culture of like eating dinner at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, oh, staying God, up until midnight. Awesome. Yeah. You know, w waking up whenever we woke up, you know, sending, you know, going down to going down to uh, to 365, our little coffee shop and, you know, cuatro croissant, cuatro <laughs> café con leche a llevar, por favor. Pan con tomate. Did you yeah. have pan con tomate? Oh, of course. my gosh, that's my favorite. You can I do mean, that. Every when you think about like th the food. How like, did you come back? I would write you and be like, you're never coming back, dude. I know. And it's like, <laughs> like my stomach, I've never felt better. I didn't have yeah, all these yeah, preservatives yeah. and additives. Yes. My yes. stomach's killing me since I got back. But like, yep. I mean, yes. like they take a tomato and it's a piece of bread and there's no like ketchup or mustard <laughs> no. and all this other shit. It's literally squeeze a tomato and they rub the tomato on the bread and they put <laughs> a little jamon and they put a little queso and all of a sudden, like, that's your lunch. And, like, you actually eat it upside down because if you eat it normal, the bread's going to scrape the roof of your mouth. And then, you know, you, you can have your little cafecito or you have your cafe con leche or, like, it's just, you know, across the street there were crepes. There was tankatsu. There was, like, I had a full conversation with a guy from Sicily. And he and his wife started his own uh, Italian restaurant, or excuse me, Italian store right around the corner. And so we'd go visit them and get fresh pasta and, Oh, we were eating differently oh, and we gosh. were carrying our, like, we go, we you bought walk a little forever too. You just walk, you just become, you just, Dude, you just eight become to 10 a miles a day. Yeah, eight yeah. to 10, like my, and, and this is one of the craziest things I tell my friends, like my resting heart rate dropped like wow. 20 beats because like everything was just so different. I was so yeah. much healthier. I wasn't just relying too. on my car and yeah. we were going to Barcelona and I was playing pickup football and my kids were playing in the streets and, it is oddly difficult to find soccer in Barcelona because there's not a lot of green space, but it's true. It's true. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's such a, such a beautiful time for my family and hopefully, you know, it'll be a reference point, but you know, it's, it's definitely watching them adapt, you know, the kids learning Spanish and the kids like mm. sending them out to go, go, go do errands by themselves and all this stuff. It was, and watching That's them, awesome. like even my little five-year-old, you know, uh, senorita, la cuenta, por favor. <laughs> oh, and like, wow. you know, like all of this stuff. Is, and they love and, kids in Spain. They'll take your oh kid and they'll kiss them. They'll take him away take and come, come off, back with them. them. Yeah. Dude, we, were, we were at the Bocaria. We were at La Bocaria and we went to go get like a fresh juice. And the, the fresh juices are like two euro. And one of the guys um, is like, he goes, uh, like my, my, my son was like, um, fresa, por favor. <laughs> and you know he wanted his strawberry and he's like okay come here come here come here and he picks him up and i've yeah. got this picture of him he's I holding my son inside the bocaria inside the little square of you know where where he's doing all this stuff and i'm just like dude these people are like the catalonian culture the spanish culture this is just family yeah and it's it is. That's all like it is. it's so beautiful and so yeah i i know it's difficult I know there's so many things that people have to go through. I know how fortunate I was to be able to do that, but I highly, highly, highly suggest, you know, just getting away and getting out of the rat race and just resetting because it's, it was such a beautiful time, man. I loved watching it. Like I said, it was great to, to DM you every once in a while and just be so, you know, appreciative and like slightly jealous of, of the experience. <laughs> but like, I knew uh, how important it was to you and your family. And, and, and I'm glad that you were able to share that here on the show as well. Like, I think there's a lot of people Thank like you. my, my colleagues always will make fun of me because I, I get into dad content often, but <laughs> it's, it's important. It's important yeah. to, to connect with those things and to see other families. Um, I'm really together and you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys had such, had such a great time. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Well, listen, I knew the show would be killer. You crushed it. Like you always do. I can't wait to see you on Apple TV on my, on my, on my big screen, introduce you to my family and say, I <laughs> yeah, know buddy. that guy. I know that guy. Um, and best of luck. I know this is going to be a big year for, for you as well, professionally. And like you said, it sounds like it's just the beginning of like a next chapter for this league and for everyone involved. So Best of luck. Mucha suerte. Abrazo fuerte. Take care, Gracias, my friend. Gracias, amigo. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on.